The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. All right, kids, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been watching a movie with Dad, and you get a couple of minutes into the movie, and you look up, and Dad is fast asleep? Has that ever happened? Abby gives a big nod. There was this one time, Jude, my son, this one time, Jude and his dad went to the movies together. Now, we went to the movies. It was his birthday. He wanted to see Lego Ninjago, and so it was this Saturday afternoon, it was about 2 o'clock, it was nice and warm in that theater, and of course it was very dark, and maybe 30 minutes into the movie, Jude looked over to his left, and his dad was fast asleep. Do you remember that, Jude? You do remember that. His dad remembers it too, because he was being nudged awake, and it's like, listen, he's lucky we made it 30 minutes, right, into that. Has that ever happened? What's the word called when dad gets cozy up on the couch, and he gets horizontal after 8 p.m., and maybe he's got a blanket on? Uh, what's the word? He's really c- c- com- comfortable. What's the word? Comfortable. What is it? He's really comfortable. Somebody yell it. Comfortable. Yeah, that's right. He's really, he's really comfortable. What's, the, what's that C word that's at the beginning of the word comfortable? Comfort. Yeah. Now, did you know that Sometimes, you know, the, the, the warm evenings or afternoons and the blankets and the hot cups of tea or whatever, that can make us really comfortable. But did you know that sometimes there's news that can make us really comfortable? There's truth that can bring us comfort, we might say. Now, the New City Catechism that we're going to talk about this morning begins with a question. What is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? This comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in the 1600s, 1500s, that was written at the time of the Protestant Reformation that was intended to help people understand Christian doctrine or Protestant doctrine. The way the Heidelberg Catechism asks it is, what is our only comfort in life or death? What is our only comfort? What what news gives us comfort? What, What thing or what truth gives us hope in life or death? That's the question that we're asking this morning, and that's the question we're going to talk about from Romans chapter 14. But I find it really interesting that we even have to ask this question. Because why is it that we need hope in life and death? Why do we need comfort in life or death? We need hope in life because life is challenging. Life can be really, really difficult. And kids, even if you're not, you know, just a couple of years into life, you know that life can be really difficult. Some days things are just hard. There are surprise things that happen to us that aren't the good kind of surprises. They're not birthday surprises. They're ugly surprises, surprises that aren't good. There's bad news. There's news that doesn't comfort us. There's news of sin and sickness and job loss and moving away when we don't want to move away and losing friends. And sometimes life is hard because it feels really blah some days. You know what I mean? Grown-ups, you especially know this. Some days life is hard because it is repetitive and it is nonstop and it feels meaningless and mundane day after day after day. And so we need hope for life. But we also need hope in death because death is scary. The, the, the truth is, and this was sort of messing with me this morning as I was thinking about it, is every soul in this room is destined for death one day. Every one of us. The reality of death for each of us bears down upon us. 
And so there's fear and uncertainty that comes with death. And it hurts. When, when loved ones, people that we know, people that we love, when they, when they leave us one day, you know, the reality is we will, we will leave or lose every single person that we know and love. And so we need hope in life and we need hope in death. So let's read again what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Now the Apostle Paul was a man who was saved by Jesus just a couple of years after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So Paul was a man who went about planting churches and starting new churches, and he would often write these letters to address issues with these churches. The book of Romans is one of these letters. He's writing to a group of Christians in the city of Rome who are having a a little bit of a difficult time being united because, well, they're people, and people sometimes have a difficult time being united. And in chapter 14, there's this argument that has surfaced about certain practices, about some Christians have the freedom to do this, and some Christians feel like they have the freedom to do this, and so they're kind of butting heads about their freedom over these issues. And what Paul wants us to see, and what Paul is encouraging these Romans to do, is to live charitably, to live in a way that is sacrificial towards our brothers and sisters, that we wouldn't be quick to judge one another, but would rather be eager to lay down rights for each other. So, With regards to certain holidays or certain food practices, certain things we engage in that we have differing convictions about, Paul wants them to live charitably. And he says in verse 14 that we live to the Lord because what Paul really wants for his Roman readers to have is a strong sense of their lives being lived for and to God. He says if you you choose to eat, if you choose this particular practice, do it to the Lord. Eat as if to the Lord. Let that be the parameters that, that allow you to determine the things that you're going to do. Can I, can I do this to the Lord? If I'm going to eat, eat to the Lord. If I'm going to observe these holidays, observe these holidays to the Lord. There's this Latin phrase, maybe you've heard of it before. It's called quorum Deo. Have I heard that before? Quorum Deo. If I say that, quorum Deo. Quorum Deo. Very good. Now, quorum, very good. Quorum Deo means before the face of God. And so what Paul wants to press upon his readers is that everything you do, you do before the face of God. We live always, in every way, in every circumstance, before God. And so we are to live towards him in all that we do. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Romans chapter 11, talking about prayer. And one of the things we saw in Romans 11 was this, this, this really kind of big picture of who God is, this uh, really, I think, compelling portrait of the bigness of God and his sovereignty and his majesty. And we said that we tend to think about God's business, uh, bigness just running one direction. Like when we talk about God being big, he's just, he's way out there attending to matters on Pluto and planets that are called Kepler-146 and things like that. But actually, God's bigness isn't just extending forever that way, it's also kind of, in a, in a way, extending forever in small directions. We said that God is big enough to be small. In other words, that God can be forever attentive to us, even us. That God has an infinite attention span, and he can always be attentive to all of us in every moment, always. And so we live in this kind of present tense before God, always, in every avenue of life, before his face at every moment. 
He doesn't just check in periodically on us, like when your teacher leaves the classroom to go talk with another teacher while you're taking a test, and then every couple of minutes she'll come and peek your head in the door to make sure nobody's cheating. That's not what God does. He doesn't come and check in periodically on us. He is always and forever attentive to us in every circumstance. In all we do, Paul says, we are to, we, we are, we are to live our lives to the Lord always, in every circumstance, always. Now this week, Emily, my wife, texted me about a, a song that my daughter was singing. Now there's this 90s song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that starts off, Saddle Up Your Horses. Anybody ever heard that? Got some nods? Saddle up your horses, we got a trail to blaze. Perfect. Now, we, uh, we, our house is not ashamed to break out 90s Christian music periodically. We, we have some appreciation for that. And so we've been playing this song in our house, and then my daughter was walking around singing. But instead of singing, saddle up your horses, she walked around singing, saddle up your whole selves. We got a trail. Except she doesn't say self, she says selfish. So it was like, saddle up your whole selfish. We got a trail to place. And what I took that to mean was she was understanding this call as the, the call to the great adventure of the Christian life. And she was wanting to emphasize that this is about our whole being, all of us, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. To, we are to saddle up our whole selves in this great adventure towards the Lord. That's how I understood it, and Emily and I decided to take it. Now, it wasn't just Ruthie uh, who kind of helped me to think about this. Um, we've been in a, Emily and I have been remodeling our master bathroom, and so our family's been sharing the bathroom in the hallway. And so me and my two sons used the same kind of deodorant, and so naturally, my sons went and got permanent markers to indicate which deodorant belonged to them. And I happened to notice this week that one of my sons wrote his name on the top of his deodorant, and then a couple of inches down, he wrote, Jesus first on his deodorant. And I thought, even our Old Spice can be consecrated to the Lord. Saddle up your whole selves. Consecrate your Old Spice. And all that we do... And in our living, we live to God. And all that we do, Paul says, live to God. Paul says we live to the Lord. And the reason that he tells us this is because we have two tendencies. Our first tendency is that we want to live to ourselves. We want our lives to be dictated by our agendas, our goals, the places that we want to live and the things that we want to do. Things that are contrary to what the Lord would have us to do. We say, my time, my life, my goals, my aspirations, my stuff, my way, my money, my house, all of it is mine. And Paul, cutting, taking an ax precisely to the root of that, he says, no, in all that we do, we live to God. Chapter 12 is living sacrifices. Could this be more counter to the message of our culture? We live to ourselves. But Paul says we're to live to God. That's our first tendency. Our second tendency, I think Paul has in mind here, is that we have a tendency to live to each other, to perform for the audience of the people who surround us, worried about what everybody thinks about us, especially unbelieving friends and family. We have a fear of being called a goody-two-shoes or cringe or dorky or weird or puritanical or legalistic or whatever. Paul says, no, we live to God, fully convinced in our own minds. We live to God. We don't live in the fear of man. We don't live in fear of what other Christians think about us. Paul says, we live to God. 
Verse 8. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are constrained to the Lord in our life and in our death. And what this catechism picks up on in this passage, in verse 8 specifically, is that both in living and dying, I belong to the Lord Jesus. And this is a great source of comfort and hope for us. So I'm going to repeat the question, but this time I'm going to invite you guys to read the answer. It'll be up on the screen. Question, what is our only hope in life and death? Answer, Amen. Christian, do you hear what this says? Something we say whenever we do baptisms, kind of tongue-in-cheek, is that what we're telling the world is that all of us that gets wet now belongs to Jesus. Body and soul, we belong in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus. And so we have hope in life. On those hard days... Those challenging days, we have hope because we belong to Jesus in life. What we can know is that those hard days are actually from Jesus. They don't surprise Jesus. In fact, they are actually given to us by Jesus. The life I live, even when it's hard, I live to the Lord. I mean, imagine the alternative, that Jesus is just as taken off guard by the difficulties of life as you are. We don't want that. We want a Jesus who is sovereign and supreme even over the hardships. And so we can say, all of my ways are known to him. He hems me in. He knows my coming. He knows my going. In life, I belong to the Lord every step of the way. And so nothing we experience isn't from Jesus. That also means that nothing we experience can't be turned to Jesus and worship. No matter how small or mundane or seemingly meaningless or banal, even our old spice, we can consecrate all of it to Jesus in all circumstances at all times, to the one who is forever and eternally present before us. In life, we have hope because we belong to Jesus and in death. We sang a couple of moments ago, who holds our days in his hands. Who has numbered our days and our steps? Who has personally appointed even our death? It's the Lord Jesus. In the prayer a moment ago, I was reading from Psalm 139. And something that's always struck me about Psalm 139 is how the psalmist recognizes the complete sovereignty the Lord has over his life. You're before me, you're behind me, you're after me. You know everything about me. You know the depths of my heart. And we read it as if that's really encouraging good news. But there's also kind of this sense in which that is completely terrifying. That God knows absolutely everything about us. And it would be completely, abjectly terrifying if we were known by any other God than the Father of the Lord Jesus. We are known by Jesus. We are kept by Jesus whose love and mercy is expressed for us in taking the cross and bearing our judgment for us. So we are in hands that have been scarred for us, friends, and we can trust our lives to him with utter and complete confidence because of who he has demonstrated himself to be for us on the cross. So we belong to Jesus, body and soul, and it's the best news conceivable. And we belong to Jesus in death. 
who holds our days, who's numbered our steps, who has personally appointed the end of our days. And that gives us hope too, because we know that Jesus loves us and has good for us. That even in the dark, mysterious passage to worlds unknown and death, we are the Lord's. And that we will one day be with him on the other side of death forever. Now earlier in the book of Romans, Paul writes one of my favorite bits of scripture. This is in Romans chapter 8. Paul asked this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Because those things have a way of making you feel separated from the love of the Lord Jesus. But here's how Paul answers. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... Put it on the bulletin board, nail it to the wall, carve it in concrete and granite. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Settle up your whole selves. That's good stuff. Now the next few minutes we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And as we take the Lord's Supper, what we remind ourselves of is that we belong to Jesus. We always like to say that when we take the Lord's Supper, we look three directions. We look backwards to when Jesus came and his body was broken for us and his blood poured out for us on the cross. We also look outwards. We look around with the brothers and sisters that share this meal with us. You belong to Jesus and I belong to Jesus and so we belong together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we look forward. Because these are the hors d'oeuvres of the feast that is to come for us. One day we will feast in eternal joy with the Lord Jesus. And this reminds us that he will keep us and he will get us there. The way this will work is we'll come forward and take the elements. And then we'll take these elements back to our seats. I'm going to ask everybody as they make their way to the front to go down these outer sides to get the elements here from uh, some of our elders. And then take the elements back up the middle. And kids, as you watch mommy and daddy take these elements Be sure to ask him about it in the car after worship. Ask him, what does it mean? Tell me more about it. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Now with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in all that we do, we are known and loved by you. And we pray, God, that you would give us the hope of of belonging to you body and soul in both life and death. Lord Jesus, I do pray for these children. I pray that they would, through through the efforts of their parents and the discipleship that their parents are are attempting and through the, the, the discipleship of our church and through the interactions with aunts and uncles in the faith, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make the gospel take root in their hearts and in their lives, that they would believe one day and would be faithfully obedient to you all their days, and that they would find the hope of life and death in you, Lord Jesus. And I also pray specifically for those who are here this morning who are bearing up under extreme difficulties, who are feeling the hardships of life and the fear of death, and I pray, Jesus, that your spirit would minister to them and would give them a sense of your nearness and your power, even over life and death. And I pray that in all things, our church would be about making you known and about knowing and delighting and being, being yours, your people. 
pray that as we take these elements, that it would stir us, that it would encourage us, that it would deepen our love for you, Lord Jesus, and deepen our faithfulness to you. And may, in all that we do, may we, may we live our lives to you.